0: So now we've all mostly been sitting for a little bit and we wanna just shake things up. So we're gonna practice something called bee breathing together. Now it's safe, there's no bees involved in this. So if you have an allergy, you can still participate. This is called Brahmari Pranayama. Sit comfortably with your shoulders relaxed. You can close your eyes or leave them open as you wish. Follow along with what I'm saying. We're gonna inhale deeply through both nostrils. And when we exhale, we're gonna make the sound of the letter M. You can do it out loud, or if you don't wanna make a sound, you can do it as an internal vibration. That will also calm your body. You'll sustain the M sound until you need to inhale again, and then repeat. I'll practice one round, and you can follow along as we go through three or four rounds together. So inhale through both of your nostrils, and as you exhale, make the sound mm, And again, inhale, exhale, mm. Breathing and vibrations can be used to calm our bodies and awaken our senses at any time that you
1: need them. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Amanda and all the animal lovers among us for making this uh, such a lovely day. People have always lived in the company of animals. Until the end of the last ice age, about 12,000, I don't know, maybe as long ago as 20,000 years ago, we derived all our food and raw materials from wild animals and wild plants. Hunter-gatherers were the name of the day, the way that society was organized, was small family, closely knit family groups of usually less than 50 people, and uh, they were nomadic, or semi-nomadic. The further from the equator, the more distance they tended to roam for food and shelter. And there was a characteristic division of labor around the Men involved in the hunt and the women involved getting closer around the neighborhood. Now this lasted for over a hundred thousand years. It's not a long time, and uh, the the people may have hunted the animals, uh, but they lived in relationship to them. They thought of them as equals, another nation. And as it said, it went on for a hundred thousand. Years and it's still going in some remote corners of the world. Archaeological evidence suggests that modern dogs derived from gray wolves in either Europe or the high Arctic, or now the consensus seems to be Southeast Asia. But by 12,000 years ago, so 10,000 E, there were dogs that uh, were part of human life everywhere. Around the globe. Um, That was the first, 12,000 years ago for sure. Other animal domestication followed. 9,000 years ago, goats and sheep, cattle and pigs, followed by horses, asses, camels, water buffalo, domestic fowl. About three, between three and four thousand years ago, the domestic cat emerged from wild obscurity in ancient Egypt. In the year zero, so about the time of Christ, 50% of the world population lived as traditional hunter-gatherers. By Columbus's era, so 1,500, uh, only 15% lived like that. Today, far less than 1% in the Amazonia, New Guinea, Borneo. The practice of keeping favored indoor-dwelling animals uh, we call pets, has been popular with ruling classes since antiquity. Uh, by m- the modern era, it became more widespread. More people could afford it. There were laws that prohibited uh, non-gentry from owning certain kinds of animals, uh, and they loosened up. And with a more varied array of pets, became available, including birds, rodents, and reptiles, but cats and dogs are the most popular, and it's kind of easy to see why. I mean, I've had four cats, three dogs, I love them. Aldix Huxley once pointed out to that to his dog, every man is Napoleon. True enough. But I suspect that what makes pets so popular is the other half of the equation, namely that to their owners, every pet is Florence Nightingale. Pets have uncanny, intuitive awareness of their owners' worries, illnesses, anxieties, and they provide companionship and security during periods of alienation, rejection, or crisis. Cats, it is well known, are essentially untrainable. They train us instead. It all works out and the household equilibrium is maintained. Dogs are ostensibly trainable, but it requires consistency, persistence, and the right attitude. One doesn't merely train your dog to become more human. The point is to open yourself to the possibility of becoming partly a dog. And if you can do that, the two you can communicate pretty well. Right, Jake? Okay. If you're a parent and your t- child is begging you for a pet uh, and you can somehow work it out uh, economically and with your landlord, my pastoral advice is to go for it. American child psychiatrist Boris Levinson and many others have argued that the experience of caring for a pet during childhood makes a person more sensitive to the feelings and attitudes of others, builds tolerance, self-acceptance, and self-control, and provides an early introduction to the facts of life and death. Studies at the universities of Pennsylvania and Maryland have shown that children in strange and scary situations are relaxed and reassured in the presence of animals. I know I have been. No doubt, one of the things that makes pets so attractive is that they are without speech. We perceive them as empathetic, they listen, seem to understand, but do not question, judge, criticize, lie to us, or betray our trust. Their affection is experienced as sincere, innocent, and without pretense, and so we bless them, the animals that bless our lives, amen.